I, I know Travis was enjoying getting getting over to the podcast uh, facility, and on the way over, he was listening to some Too Legit to Quit by the, the amazing MC Hammer. So, um, not by choice. Not by choice, though. Not by choice. <laughs> not Two by of my choice. most controversial oh, takes ever. It was it was on LL Cool J's Serious Station. Two of my most controversial takes ever are. I can't stand LL Cool J. I'm a huge hip hop fan, but I can't stand LL Cool J. And I'm not a big Jim Harbaugh fan. And that's come about this week. And I'm sure we'll probably broach that topic later. <laughs> we will. We will brush on both those topics. Do you do you not do you dislike them both because they're both candy wrappers? Is that is that what the issue is here? Man, LL Cool J's lyrics are so freaking bad. Can you name another artist who ever used the term? My head is like a shark's fin in a freaking. What does that even mean? What the hell does that even mean? No, I don't think I want. And that to know. isn't even from the song he did for the movie Deep Blue Sea, which would have made a little bit of sense. <laughs> but no. So here we are, Travis. Welcome, welcome back to There's Always Next Year. I'm your host, and you can follow me on Twitter at Brian underscore Bassett. With me, as always, is the amazing. Travis Milton, who you can find on Twitter at dash thirty seven board twenty seven. Josh has the day off. He's home with the family. He's requested uh, loyal listeners that you please send him whiskey. So if you want to find a way to get a hold of him and send him whiskey, you can get at him at Josh underscore Conrad on Twitter. It's the end of the week, holiday week. We're late in pulling this podcast together. We're taping this on Friday, but we will touch briefly on the Packers game from last week. We'll get into some news and notes, and then we'll look ahead to the Jets' final matchup against the Patriots. Uh, but first, so let's talk a little bit about the Packers' loss. I'm not going to say I said it, I saw it going this way, but that's exactly how the way I predicted it would go, right? Where you had these two teams that are clearly scratching and clawing, finding their way to the end of the season, but one team has Aaron Rodgers, one team has a young and promising quarterback, uh, but in the end, Aaron Rodgers does Aaron Rodgers things. Right, Travis? Was that kind of your take? Once it went to overtime, it's like, well, it's Aaron Rodgers. How were you feeling about that as the game kind of played out and the, the Packers found their way back into it? Well, you've got to remember I've killed a lot of brain cells in, in my day, so I don't remember exactly what we both said, but I'm pretty sure that we both touched on the points that you know they've got Aaron Rodgers and they've got Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, who were the two deciding factors? Yep. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Um, right. And then we've got you know Mo Claiborne and, and uh, True Main Johnson. Great times. Good times for yeah. Jets fans, right? Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, in the end, you know, they did the things that we expected them to do, which were Vontae Adams was going to kill them. He kind of got off to a slow start in the game, but seemed to heat up and then obviously had the game-winning touchdown. It was the dagger. Yeah, it was, it was the very end. Unfortunately, even though I have Devontae Adams on my fantasy football team, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't enough for me to overcome my, my adversary who stomped me in the final. So I was... It was kind of a, a weird moment where I was watching the end of the Jets game. Um, Devontae Adams scores that touchdown, and I scream in glee at the Jets losing because I'm like, oh, boy, that really helped my chance in the fantasy <laughs> playoffs. And the Jets just didn't win another game, uh, and I kind of saw this coming. So it was all these emotions wrapped up together, but also feeling like super fucking guilty for having you know 
screamed in glee at Devontae Adams scoring that touchdown. And in the end, it ended up costing me the championship. I think my uh, – uh, I, I ended up hurting myself, but that's some shitty karma. Yeah, that exa- exactly. That's exactly what happened was I did it to myself. But so, so let's talk a little bit more about the game in that. Um, I mean, one of the most interesting things to me and may- maybe it shouldn't be that all that interesting was, was Leonard Williams was ejected from the game for punching Brian Bulaga after the game. He says, you know, Hey, I just lost my temper. I don't want to be a dirty player. You know, I hope that people don't remember me for this. I'm super bummed and disappointed that in a close, game I did something stupid uh, what was your take on that or, or thoughts on the Leonard Williams ejection my take was you know I, I literally got up out of my seat and said fuck yeah Leonard Williams because you know I, I think every single one of us has been very frustrated with his production like I, he's been solid he's doing the dirty work but you know for for you know for being an what was he? Was he? He was. A, he was a number six pick. Um, uh, right. Yeah. You know, for being that high of a pick, and and being, you know, at that point, I think he was the the highest rated player in the draft. You know, you expect more out of him, and I, th- I that was kind of a culmination of like, hey, thank you. I'm glad you feel the way I feel about your play right now. Finally, it's taken you long enough, and and I really felt like it was just a, a culmination of of him being so close, but just not, mm. you know, the quarterback and, you know, just, just being so close on all these plays and not putting everything together. And, and you know, I, I could, I could very easily see that, that being the case. And in my mind, that was what it was. And I was like, well, hell yeah. I'm glad that, that you are as frustrated as I am with your play. <laughs> that you punch somebody. For as, powerful and inside force he is on that team. You know, defensive lineman, you expect him to be a little bit nasty. And I would not ever really describe Leonard Williams as a nasty player. Like his, no. his temperament. He's not a Dominican Sue. Right. His, his, his temperament is more actually like an offensive lineman um, in that he's kind of calm and even keeled. I mean, he's a, you know, he's a tactician. He's a good playmaker. But he doesn't have like that mean streak that you see with other players like Sheldon Richardson or even Muhammad Wilkerson at times. Um, and so that's kind of been the thing, right? It's like, okay, so you're jettisoning those players and here's the guy you're putting in, in, in his stead, but like, he's not the fiery, you know, leader that you're expecting kind of, you know, quote unquote, bad intentions player from that defense. You're getting that more from Jamal Adams and, and, and those kinds of players. So, so anyway, I, yeah, I liked the, the fire. And so I, I don't think anybody's really going to hold it against him. I think I'd like to see a little bit more of that. Certainly not ejections, but that kind Absolutely. of that nasty streak. I had the same exact uh, take on that. So, so good. So Leonard Williams, more of that. Don't get ejected, but play nasty. All right, man. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> were there any other bright spots for you as you, um, as you kind of observed that game, were there, I mean, I think, you know, Sam Darnold was kind of the, the one example that pops to mind for me. I, I Chris really, Herndon. Yes, he, Chris Herndon. Yeah, he had quite a game, right? Um, he did, but but he was actually my number two. Uh, one of the things I bitch about a lot, and I think you and I have both bitched about mm-hmm. this, is Robbie Williams' route running. Uh, Robbie Anderson. And, not Robbie yes, Williams. I mean, Robbie Anderson. I'm sorry. Robbie. Yeah. Who the hell? Uh, Robbie Bob Williams is a star from the 90s. I've had too much Eagle Rare. I, I, I told you, I'm going to be the half drunk funny guy. I'm uh, opening good. a restaurant. Just, you know, just deal with it. Uh, right. uh, Robbie Anderson's, like, I looked at his route tree. Somebody posted it on Twitter. Um, 
I think a day after the game and it was it was not the normal Robbie Anderson route tree and mm-hmm. you know I think part of that is is a a you know the 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 stinky smell of desperation in Jeremy Bates but also Robbie Anderson kind of pulled it off I mean he wasn't just running go routes I he was No you're right he was all over the place and making catches and making plays within those routes which uh, really surprised me, and I was—I was—I think I was more happy about that. Seeing uh, whether it be you know a step in development or you know a flash in the pan game that he pulled it off. Like either way, seeing that was like holy shit. That that really made me happy. Yeah, I was I was impressed. I thought Sam Darnold had a good game. Obviously, came up short in the end, and and the you know the the team kind of you know lost uh, lost some momentum in the final final parts of the game. But but all, all that said, you know I I really liked the play from Chris Herndon. You know, six catches, eighty two yards, another touchdown, um, and that one hander. Oh yeah, right. On that was amazing. It was so so nice, and so I think you, you see that. Okay, you're saying, gee, this guy's a rookie. You know, he's 22 years old. You know, most tight, tight ends come into the league and they they can't contribute at this level this early. And so his stepping up in this way at this point is certainly certainly promising. And so when I when I think about this team and I think about uh, Herndon. I, I love the role that he kind of marks out. And then, right, Robbie Anderson has started to step up his game to to the point that you said of him not being able to just run, or excuse me, not being stuck running go routes, and that's the only thing he was good at. You think back when Bryce Petty was was captaining this offense, basically that's all he did was just throw the ball deep to Robbie Anderson uh, because Bryce Petty couldn't make any other reads. And so he just knew Robbie Anderson's really fast. I'll put it out ahead of him. And he just kept doing it over and over again. Now we're in a situation where he's obviously progressing. He's learning the nuances of the, of the game. He's running more uh, complex routes. And so you can certainly see, Hey, this guy's going to be the field stretcher for this team for the next, you know, hopefully a couple of years. And you start putting in the double move, you know, kind of play. That's the kind of stuff that you say, okay, this is really going to unlock the kind of player he is. Now, obviously at his size, he's still not going to be able to catch 10 balls a game, you know, for 16 games, but his role in this offense is only going to help open up uh, the opportunity for other players like Herndon or or uh, Nunwa. So while sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. 
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Um, speaking of Anunwa, Travis, news and notes for today – uh, Chris, uh, Quincy Anunwa just got a four-year extension worth approximately $36 million across those four years. Um, any thoughts on the Jets extending Quincy Anunwa? I'm happy that man's getting paid. Um, I've been a, a much of a contrarian lately about the, the current uh, overvaluation of, of talent, that quote-unquote talent that we have on the team. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've made like a big stink about Eli McGuire on, on, on the internet about, you know, I, I constantly hear, Oh, he's, he's, Oh, I can't, I'm so psyched about him. And you know what? He's, he's probably a, a, you know, number four back on another team. Um, but Inunua is, is kind of the anomaly of this bunch. Like that guy is, is very much a, a staunch piece of the heart and soul of this offense. Uh, you know, I look at him and I see like flashes of like, uh, Richie Anderson back in the day, like not going down. And I see like, you know, the hands of like Wayne Corbett. And yeah, they're, they're, I just see so much in this guy uh, that I'm really, really psyched that he's going to be there long-term. And I'm, I'm glad that he's finally getting some, getting, getting some due, due pay. Right. And you had talked about a couple weeks ago about, you know, the idea someone on Twitter wrote something like, you know, Jericho Cotri 2.0. And that's, yeah. that's kind of the way I look at him. And so when you think about, you know, the Jets and kind of as they go through this rebuild, uh, I, I like the fact that you have Quincy and Minua in place, $9 million a year. I, you know, we don't know all the details on the deal yet, but I'm sure that, you know, there's bonuses or escalators in there. So it's not like he necessarily will even earn all 36 of that, of that, you know, on that four years. So, but still, when you consider the fact that players last year, like, um, uh, Allen Robinson got around 12 or $13 million a year. Sammy Watkins got the same. I think Brandon Cooks got more than that, uh, you know, kind of during training camp or obviously, you know, not on a in, in free agency. But the things that people I've – someone asked me today on Twitter, like, do you think that they grossly overpaid for him? And, and my read is no, because if you look at the talent of players that are going to be out in this year's wide receiver class – I think he's one of the better, more talented players of that group. He's also fairly young. He's got the skill set and the talent and the technique and the size and everything you want. Uh, You get him ahead of free agency, and you're going to do it in the midst of an upcoming free agency where the valuations on players are going to be bonkers. Two teams have over $100 million in cap space. In the in the Colts and the and the Jets and there's other teams that aren't that far behind. So when you when you think about you know I saw something on Twitter about the fact that the Miami Dolphins or excuse me on a, an article the other day someone was complaining about the Dolphins that they're in cap despair because of Mike Tannenbaum and they were kind of putting the math together and saying like they could get to sixty million dollars and that's not even a lot in this uh, in this free agent class based on kind of the arms race of, of the way other teams have, have built uh, their their cap space for the season so so all that to say is 
nine million dollars today is probably more like 13 or 15 this coming off season so i love the move and i love the value at which they got him and clearly right he he did a deal that was more friendly to the team but he's still going to do well and so for his loyalty he gets rewarded um uh, I'm just going to name some of the guys, other guys kind of ahead of Inunua in terms of who's making more than Inunua going into free agency this year. And I just want you to tell me the players that you would rather have at this point in their career on, let's say, a $10 million average or, or more deal this coming free agency. Larry, right, hit me. Larry Fitzgerald, 36 years old. Oh, that, uh, that, 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 that might be a break even yeah. on that one. And he would probably, he'll probably get, he's currently 11 million. He'll probably get, you know, 12 or 13 if he resigned with the cards on a one year or, you know, maybe more than that if he goes on another, with another team. But I don't know many teams going to be willing to pay Larry Fitzgerald that, that much. Randall Cobb, uh, currently 29 and currently has a $10 million in uh, average per year. If the Packers don't want to sign him, like the one team he's going to excel with, there's no way in hell I want that guy. Right. Okay. Dante Moncrief, <laughs> currently with the Jaguars, 26 years old, on just about $9.6 million per year. He's with the Jaguars? I thought he was yeah. behind the counter with Lane Kiffin when I bought those uh, hot Cheetos. <laughs> he was. He might have been. He might have been. Tavon Austin, Cowboys. Team. Absolutely not. No. Yeah. That guy, no. Golden Tate, 31. He's on a deal expiring that had $6 million annual. You know, he, he might be close to a push. Uh, he, he's still pretty productive. Um, you know, I, I, don't think any of, I don't think any of us ever know exactly what's going on within that Philadelphia Eagles offense at any given point. So I, I, I can't put his, you know, anything he's done there, good or bad. So that might be a push. I'll give you a couple more here. Um, Let's see. Ryan Grant with the Colts, no. John Brown with the Ravens, he was on, I think, maybe a... Hell no. Hell no, yeah. Uh, Cordero Patterson, uh, Patriots, uh, can't catch the ball. I thought he was a kick returner. And he's a kick returner and a a running back. He's designated as a wide receiver, but no. Kevin White, hell no. No. Chris Hogan from the Patriots, no. Cole Beasley, hell no. Adam Humphreys, hell no. Tyrell Williams, no. Then you get to Nidwa. And there's players below that. You can go to over the cap and check it out. The one interesting name on that list that I didn't mention who's making more than him this year but who will be a free agent this coming year is Jermaine Curse. To me, I feel like this deal pushes Curse out unless he's willing to take a very low-dollar deal from the Jets, like at 29 years old. Do, do you agree? Does this signing of a Nunwa kind of signal the end for, for Curse, or will they maybe they'll make a half-hearted attempt at him? No, I think it's the end. Um, I, I was, to be honest, I was really surprised that they retained him this year with Nunwa being back. Uh, like the, I won't say skill set, but the what what they do within the offense is so similar. Um, and with Anunwa being younger, um, fresher, um, I, I, I agree that there was probably a question mark there at some points with the, the coming back from the injury. But, you know, just, just having a younger, fresher, more hungry player, you know, I, I, I'm still surprised that, that Kerr stayed on this year. Yeah, I mean, it obviously worked out with, you know, Nunu getting injured somewhat and, you know, being injured for parts of the year. But but all the same, I think the idea here is they get Nunu healthy and he kind of holds that role next year, you know, obviously. And I think that's, that's the other thing that yeah. 
Sorry. Yeah, That's the other thing, the nail on the coffin with, with him being with the Jets. Um, you know, and none were being injured. It, it worked out in opening the door for him getting more playing time, but he mm-hmm. did not do shit during that time. Um, I mean, the the amount of drop passes that, that he has had, I, I looked it up again. Uh, brain cells, not good right now. Uh, but I looked it up at one point, and it was horrendous. Mm. Yeah, I don't know what the numbers are. I'll try and I'll try and find it while we're talking. Um, and I think the other interesting thing has been, you know, we t- we touched on Chris Herndon and, and obviously Robbie Anderson a little bit. Chris Herndon with those two players struggling, um, you know, uh, you know whether through injury or, or just play, um, you know, I think he's been one of the beneficiaries of of um, you know of of uh, Curse and Inunua having issues during the course of the the year uh you know, certainly he he's been the one who, who's been able to you know produce some uh some results all right of course i can't find the the drop targets uh drops right now but uh, i'll keep looking for it later uh his current catch rate uh in the 2018 season according to pro football reference is 48.7 which is horrendous that is yeah so so I don't, yeah, I don't have the drops uh, in front of me, but but a forty-eight percent catch rate is horrific. So not good. Uh, well, that pretty much exposes the drops. If you're yeah, if you've got a forty-eight percent right. catch rate, then you were you're screwing up all over the place. Exactly, exactly. So okay, so uh, another interesting thing that's happened in the news, kind of Christmas Day or right after, I can't remember at this point anymore. Um, the Jets were in the news because Ian Rappaport reported that the Jets had legit interest to legit interest in Jim Harbaugh. Now who knows whether Jim Harbaugh is actually interested. It might be a one-sided crush in, in the case of the jets with Jim Harbaugh, but uh, you know, nothing has been said from, from Harbaugh's camp. And obviously, you know, as a co- college coach, like there's nothing to gain from talking about it. Um, but from all reports from NFL.com reporters, the Jets' interest was sincere, or they were sincerely considering making him an offer, which we can assume they were going to do. You said at the top there, you're not a big fan of Jim Harbaugh. Um, tell us more about that. Why Why would Harbaugh not be the right person for the Jets as far as they're concerned? Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, first, first and foremost, well, I, I, I've resided to the fact that McCagnan is is going to be back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope to sweet Jesus, Muhammad, or whatever God is out there that I am wrong, but um, that would just be the biggest freaking mess in the world. That would be bigger than the Isaac Ryan mess. Mm-hmm. Um, having those two together uh, would be absolutely. It, it would just be a shit show. Um, number two. I, you know, maybe if he had done what Pete Carroll did when he dropped down into the college ranks or what Nick Saban did when he came back to the college ranks, I haven't seen him 
excel to the point that he probably should in Michigan. I mean, he's been there four years. They haven't made it to a single, uh, you know, Final Four playoff. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, what, what the hell has he done within the college ranks that's going to impress me? Uh, he did He did pretty okay for his first uh, two and a half years with the uh, – three years with the 49ers. The last year was a complete and utter shit show. Yeah. Um, so you've got – in my opinion, you've got three out of nine years that are good. And is that – is that good enough for me? No, I would rather have an unproven product that we're giving a chance to, which I know everyone thinks I'm an idiot for. I'm going to die on this hill. I've got whiskey. I'm fine. Um, (laughs) But I am just not a fan of Jim Harbaugh. I've seen him rub players the wrong way. Um, I, you know, half of the roster when he came on and, and when he excelled in, in San Francisco weren't his, he didn't draft a good chunk of those guys. Um, so I, I'm just I'm not sold. I mean, John Harbaugh, that's a little bit different. Uh, Jim, I'm I'm not not a, not in the fan club. Well, I certainly think, and I'm not. I, I I would say I'd be interested in them to make a play at him. Realistically, I don't think there's any chance Jim Harbaugh comes to the Jets unless he says, you know, unless a couple things. One or one, he sees the writings on the wall with him in Michigan. He, he's only going to have you know a year or two at the most more, and he knows he's got to get out now, kind of before the bloom is completely off the rose. I don't necessarily know that's the case because even though they haven't done much, to your point, I also think they've had some decent recruiting classes, which would lead me to believe that in the next one or two years they're going to be better than they are. And so, like if he has the courage of his convictions, you know, he'll stay to see that through. That said, the other thing about Harbaugh is that he never stays anywhere that long. He's more than four years, right? He's kind of a wanderer, right? He's kind of a nomad and he's known to kind of stir up, you know, take a team that has talent, elevate it, you know, for, for, you know, this reason or that reason. And then, you know, he kind of, pisses everybody off to your point, right? Him, his relationship with Trent Baalke is the stuff of legends. You can go read on it. Um, yeah. while he was with the 49ers and, and then, right. You know, it was, it was on to the next team for him. And he, he's kind of done that repeatedly did it. Stanford did it in uh, the 49ers. I don't know if he's gotten to that point. I haven't followed him that closely in Michigan yet, but maybe if he senses it, he, he would jump again. Uh, but then again, right, the point is, well, he's only going to be here for this many years. And the biggest innovation he brought to the pros was essentially using the pistol, right, which was yeah. something the college had been using for years and years. And he was just the first one with the right person uh, to execute that kind of an offense uh, and the and the courage to actually do it. Now, everybody runs some sort of variation of the pistol or run pass option. Uh, and and so, like, you know, so the question is, what, what would he then bring that would, you know, make a lasting impact? And I, I don't know what that would be. And so it's kind of like, yeah, I, I get it. It's a big name. But, but yeah, I, for all the reasons you mentioned, I think they could – they might be able to do better. Um, and to your point about his brother, John, like it seems like the Ravens are going to extend him. Uh, they're not going to let him kind of walk off into the sunset. Although it seemed that way, I certainly think the Lamar, the way Lamar Jackson has played has uh, turned the tide for Harbaugh to maybe get some more time with the Ravens. That said, yeah. you know, who knows, who knows anything could happen. Um, but, but right. I think Har- John Harbaugh has proved to be, 
uh, obviously a more steady, a better long-term influence than his brother, you know, who obviously seems to be more of the uh, instigator type uh, rather than the kind of long-term maintainer type. So, so yeah, so I think it really comes down to a question of preference, and it sounds like your and my preference is the same. No thanks to Harbaugh. One of the things you yeah. talked about, though, which was interesting, you kind of hinted at it, Travis, was the idea of, and this was kind of going to be my next question, is you assume that Mike McCagnan will be staying as the general manager with the Jets because if they're talking about their potential interest in Harbaugh, I think what it signals to you, and it signals the same thing to me, that – they're going to make a quick play, try and make a splash, fire bowls. And you can't necessarily do that if you don't have a general manager in place or at least a plan. And so, you know, the simplest solution to that is you keep McCagnan there and you let him, quote unquote, make his hire, right? And his hire is, in that case, in this kind of, you know, farcical land that they're not going to get Jim Harbaugh is, is Jim Harbaugh, right? So is that kind of the 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 implied the implied uh, reading between the lines of their interest in in Harbaugh is that oh McCagnan stays. I, I I think the 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 good old adage that I've I've read like over the past five years and like probably ten million tweets by Manish is the 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 big game hunting mm-hmm. crap. Um, right. And I mean that's the thing if. Uh, you know, I, I think the fact that uh, Jim Harbaugh is not doing it uh, really signals like the biggest, uh, you know, plus in mm-hmm. uh, the McCagnin is staying uh, thought process because you know he is more of the the guy that's going to want GM control. He's going to want control beyond uh, you know the coaching room, and if he's not interested because. You know, if he's not interested, that signals to me that, that McCagney is not going anywhere. Um, and then... Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I, I think that's a part of it. Um, I, I still worry about this whole Mike McCarthy thing. I'm not, I'm not into that either. Yeah, he seems like a like a potential candidate, and for whatever reason, the reporters in New York think that McCarthy coming to New York would be a good decision for the Jets. Um, uh, I, we've we've talked about this in the past. Go back into the uh, the the archives of the show on why we think Mike McCarthy Mike McCartney is, McCarthy isn't the right person for this. I don't like Paul McCartney either. So yeah, it's I don't like him either. Yeah. Um, especially, <laughs> especially that Christmas song that he ripped so off the Beatles, which is terrible. Um, no the, Beatles, the, uh, the beach boys. Um, anyway. So as I think about um, though, this team, like what, I, what I've come to the conclusion of is Mike McCadden isn't the worst GM in the world. He's certainly not the best GM in the world. Uh, but my, the big problem, and I think, you know, for the Jets front office is going to be, they don't know necessarily who they would replace him with. And so like, I've come up with a list of guys. I'm going to, I'm going to, 
float you. I'm writing up this article for Jets Fix. It's taken me forever. Um, I get way too into the weeds on these things, and so this you know this becomes like a ten thousand word article, which is ridiculous. But I'm going to so what you- you're what you're telling me is it's kind of like an old game show situation yes. where it's you can have the car in front of you, mm-hmm. and it's it's a it's a Ford Pinto, right? But it's still a car. Or you can have what's behind door number one. Right, which and you could don't be a know goat. what that is. Yeah, it could, and it could be a goat. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A literal goat. Yeah, not not the greatest of all time. It could be just an actual goat. She's yeah, an actual goat. Yeah. So, so here's here's my top four options. If the Jets were to upgrade, here's the four guys I'd want them to see. So I'll, I'll give you a little bit of update, and then if you have anything to add, feel free. So, so number one is George Patton. He's the assistant GM in Minnesota. He's been working with Rick Spielman for a long time. Obviously, they've built a talented team, but he's been loyal to Spielman all this time. But finally, it sounds like he's ready to move out on his own, according to, to Jason Lockenfora. Uh, the idea, though, is that he might be the new general manager for the Dolphins, a place he worked at 20 years ago, uh, or maybe not that long ago, but roughly <laughs> 15 years ago. So the thing is, though, no, like the owner's not the same there. So, so my thought is if, if, if the dolphins are in play, then hell the jets might as well get in the mix. Um, that's number one. Number two is a guy named Duke, Duke Tobin. Uh, Duke Tobin is the, uh, director of player personnel for Cincinnati. Um, he has essentially been the, the nominal GM in Cincinnati for a long time. He's obviously built a very talented or let's say talented units at different periods of time. You know, they had one of the best receiving cores with uh, Chad Ochocinco and TJ Huzmanzada. They've had one of the best defensive lines. They've had one of the best offensive lines. Um, uh, they've had some good uh, secondaries as well. So they're a pretty, he's been able to build talented teams um, but I would say, <laughs> I think everyone would agree, the issues there are more around the coach. Marvin Lewis. Exactly. More <laughs> <laughs> around Marvin Lewis's ability than, than the talent of the team. Um, so he'd be my second choice. I've got a couple more, um, but I think the, the, the last most interesting one to me and or you would be Sashi Brown, who is the former executive vice president of football ops for the Browns. Now, obviously, he's kind of viewed as the NFL's version of Sam Hankey, right? This guy who kind of architected this plan to do this massive rebuild. They had more draft capital than any other team has had in, you know, in the 2018 draft. And they obviously have brought in talented players, you know, in prior years, drafting, you know, edge rushers and players like David Njoku and on and on and on. And it put them in a position to take a guy like Baker Mayfield, who I would say by and large was chosen by the Browns because of a certain person named Paul D. Podesta, who many Jets fans are familiar with if they're also Mets fans. Um, and it seems like D. Podesta is gaining more influence inside the organization than even the GM, uh, John Dorsey. And I think a lot of it has to do with the, the kinds of things D Podesta is doing inside the organization and specifically out of Baker Mayfield's play. Um, so, you know, Baker Mayfield was kind of the cherry on the top of the Sunday, um, uh, because they put all these other talented players in position first, and then they, they were able to pick the quarterback when the person was right. Remember, if you remember, they were not big fans of Carson Wentz uh, you know, two years ago. Uh, they, they didn't think he was a top 20 talent. 
Uh, and that's a conversation for another day, but they at least have the courage of their own convictions. And the person who architected that whole thing was Sashi Brown. Sashi Brown himself is not even a GM, right? And he's, he's not been a scout. He's been a lawyer and, you know, he's been kind of working on more of the corporate commercial side, but it's clear he's able to put the right kind of people in the positions to make the right decisions. And so, you know, this, resurgence in Cleveland has happened much because of Sashi. And I would say Dorsey has done some things to dampen what he's been able to do. Um, but all the same, like it's still happening regardless of uh, John Dorsey's incompetence. So any of those guys sound interesting to you, Travis? So I, I, I think you and I have a very similar opinions on this. Like, uh, you know, I've I've had I've had the thoughts about you know Tobin if if Marvin Lewis gets promoted, mm-hmm. um, that that was a good good you know maybe. But as someone that you know owns multiple restaurants that runs multiple successful businesses, mm-hmm. the key to doing that is to swallow your ego a little bit and get people better than you doing things that you don't have to do anymore. And I feel like. <clears throat> Sashi has done a very good job of that. I think you, yeah. you just touched on that of putting people in position to make the decisions and do the things that you, that aren't your strengths. And those are the things that I actually, you know, make as my biggest argument against McCagnan is that he, he's, he's not putting people, he's, he's not admitting um, what isn't a strength. He's not admitting what a weakness is and putting people in here. He's, I'm not saying he's putting yes men in there, but he's, he's not putting people in there. He's still the gate where all the decisions have to come through. Exactly. Right? And, and, you know, I see someone like Sashi who's, who is, who's thinking beyond, you know, what his personal job is, is going, you know what, this is only going to make me better. It's only going to make the franchise better, which is only going to make my bank account better. And that to me is a dude that is, is going to make some moves. Right. And so, and I would never hold uh, against Sashi Brown the fact that he was fired by Jimmy Haslam, you know, a man whose business, you know, his, his primary business was essentially defrauding, you know, tax payers and wh- whatever that, that huge case was. I, I'd go look it up, but I, if I cared. Yeah, it was like gas stations and defrauding people. Yeah, like kickbacks and all this kind of stuff. So, like, I'm never going to hold, you know, a business decision against Sashi Brown if it was made by Jimmy Haslam, who basically, you know, the way it worked was – uh, you know, mm, we need to do analytics. Everybody's talking about analytics. Yeah, we should do analytics. Okay, Sashi, you're in charge of, uh, you know, creating an analytics-based organization. And then, you know, right 23 months into it, he's like, mm, I don't think we're going to keep doing this anymore. <laughs> John Dorsey, you're the new GM. You know, basically the antithesis of, of an analytics movement. Um, yes. but, right, that the, the idea is that those, like the stuff that Sashi put in place has kind of had legs largely because of De Podesta. And so, right to your, to that point, um, you know, and De Podesta is a guy who came from baseball, right? Like it, it's, I mean, yes, he understood. Well, that's where analytics matter the most in sports. I mean, that's, that, I mean, that is, you know, Billy Bean world. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, right. I think honestly, if John Dorsey was in, 
in the driver's seat for the draft, they would have picked Josh Allen or they would have, they might probably would have picked Sam Darnold who again, I love Sam Darnold. They would never have picked Baker Mayfield because he's a darling of the analytics community, uh, but not of the, of the kind of scouting film grinding community. So no, yeah. cause I don't, I don't think there's any la- analytics on crotch grabbing. <laughs> No, that's you get you get a hundred extra points for that in my book. Oh shit! It's, so it's kind of like stickers on a car, you know. Right. Like the more stickers you get, the more mile per hour you get. Exactly, exactly nice. right. Well, so anyway, so so it sounds like we're we're in agreement in that like what we would like is a little bit of an outside the box thinker and someone who can delegate their authority, right? Who doesn't have to be the central point on everything. And and I think I agree. I think that's what holds organizations back and and has for the Jets. So, so anyway, some good candidates, I, I would hope. Uh, but moving on, let's talk for a couple minutes now again about the Patriots coming, uh, coming up here. So the Patriots uh, newsflash, they're a better team than the Jets. Um, they're better in, in lots of areas, basically all, all the most important areas, Travis, when I look at this team, you know, the, the Patriots are certainly not up to their usual stuff in terms of, uh, you know, how good their offense has been this year, but they certainly, you know, are, are one of the better teams in the league. They've had, you know, basically their, their offense is ranked seventh overall, sixth in the run and sixth in the, in the pass. Whereas the jets, you know, have their run defense is ranked 25th and their pass defense for as much as we complain about it has actually been 12th, which is, so it's actually the better side of their defense right now. So when I think about the Patriots and their offense, uh, taking off, taking on the, the jets defense, like it just seems like they're going to run the ball. And if you look at what they did last week, you know, where they ran for well over 200 yards, um, they could easily do that again. And I think the idea here for the Patriots is they want to do that because because they can win that way. And it's going to save Brady, who they probably will play most of the game, or at least until it's out of reach. Because as far as I understand, I was trying to read the tables earlier, like, they have not locked up home field, you know, at least the second spot. Um, and so they need to win this game to get the bye, as best I understand it. So so that means to me that the Patriots are going to be playing Brady and, and most of their starters because they're going to want that bye and they'll do what it takes to do it. But they certainly don't want to risk Brady. Uh, and if they can win via the run, that's what they'll try to do. Uh, what are your thoughts about that strategy as the Patriots uh, take on the Jets? I, I don't think it's going to be that much different than uh, the first game we played against them where uh, I mean, James White freaking just crushed us, uh, just ran all over us. And, you know, that's that's been our Achilles heel all year. You know, we can't stop the run, which is – I think I've, I've said it multiple times, which is bizarre because I feel like that's been – the one constant strength we've had through these crappy years is like, Hey, well, hell, we're always good against the run. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's going to be that we're good. We're just going to get run all over. And it's going to be short passes to Julian Edelman. Um, I, I, Jamal Adams did a wonderful job against Gronk in the first game. And I, I foresee the exact same thing. I think that he's going to be shut down. He's kind of a shell of himself. Uh, but you know, I think I think you and I have these conversations every year, either between us or with other people. Of it's it's kind of that Mark Twain thing. The uh, mm-hmm. the uh, the rumor of the Patriots' demise has been greatly exaggerated. Um, I 
I don't see them winning the the Super Bowl, but I definitely see them beating the shit out of us. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I think in the last game, in addition to James White, I think Sony Michelle. Sony Mich- had- that's right. Sony Michelle was the one that ran all over us. Yeah, I'm trying to see was was James White in the game? So I know Michelle had. 20- no, he wasn't. Sony Michelle started for James White. That's right. Okay, that's what it was. So um, yeah, I'm looking it up now. So I know Sony Michelle had like 21 carries for 133 yards, but James what? James White, I feel like also had um, had some uh, had some scores or something during the course of the game. I can't remember. Uh, and of course, now I'm trying to look things up on NFL.com, and it's uh, being a pain in the ass. And yeah, yeah, yeah McDonald's commercials. Um, but <laughs> uh, good times, good times. But yeah, I would say I I, I certainly foresee the Jets getting pasted by this team, which, you know, it has its benefits and it has its drawbacks. Of course, we always want to beat the the Patriots, um, but the Patriots just look primed to, to keep, to play, keep away from the Jets. And, you know, the Jets currently are clinging to the third overall pick. So if you're, if you're following the pick strategy, like our buddy Josh Conrad is, uh, then, you know, losing here at least holds you steady with that third overall pick. Um, so, you know, when, when it comes to the Jets and they're, you know, planning for a rebuild, um, you know, <laughs> I guess that has some merit to in a season where they're, the team's already 4-11. and 11. So, um, so, yeah, I don't know. And then in terms of we didn't really even talk about the other side of the ball, the Jets' offense against the, the Patriots' defense. The Patriots' defense has been bad this year. Um Roughly about the same as as the Jets' offense. Their their run defense is twentieth. Their pass is is thirteenth. So they're a middle of the pack defense, um, ninth nineteenth overall. The Jets' offense, while they're twenty uh, ninth overall according to Football Outsiders, um, their their run offense has been bad, twenty ninth, and their pass offense has been almost as bad, twenty eighth. The trick though is don't let the season long statistics fool you. I think if you were to break it out over the last couple games, like what you would see is the team is outperforming um, their season long average on what they're doing on offense. Obviously you look what they've done the last couple weeks with, with Sam Darnold at the helm. Um, but do you think Sam Darnold and Chris Herndon and Robbie Anderson and Eli McGuire are going to be enough to, to stop this Patriots defense? Um, I, I think Darnold's going to have a very efficient game. I don't think that he's going to have a game like he had against the Packers. Um, it, I think if, if you if you look up the kind of the differential between where the, the Patriots and the Packers are respectively on defense and, and offense, it's not that dissimilar. Um, so I, I, I kind of think the game's going to go a little bit like last week. I, I think it's going to be a little more – Patriots than than it was Green Bay, but um, yeah, I, I just I, I think that Darnold's going to have an efficient game, but not you know light it up for three hundred and some odd yards and three TDs. They're not going to combine for more than eighty points, is, is what you're telling me. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I think we'll we'll leave our fans there. Uh, everyone, thank you for listening all season long. We'll do a wrap up next week. And we'll see what the future holds. But uh, this has been a lot of fun. Um, Travis, thanks for taking some time between the holidays uh, to to talk with us. What's the latest with the restaurant? When is it open? Uh, or what is it a slow, soft opening? Uh, 
Uh, how do things go? Well, nothing's ever slow and soft in the restaurant industry. It's more like my sex life, fast and disappointing. Um, but uh, we're we're going to be opening the first restaurant on uh, January second. Uh, the the big massive one is uh, under construction and rolling. We're still about twelve months out on that, and then the the little commissary kitchen where we'll be doing all our canning and uh, making country hams and cheeses and all kinds of crazy shit like that. That's uh, that's in the works as well and be kind of open in between them. Um, nice. So, yeah, it's uh, 2019 is going to be a, a uh, freaking ball kicker for me, but I'm psyched. Awesome. Well, good. Well, we're excited for you too. Uh, it's going to be too legit. Too legit to quit. Agreed. It's always too legit to quit with my man, Travis Milton. And you can find Travis on Twitter at Dash 37 Board 27. And the always uh, ladies love Josh Conrad. <laughs> LLJC. Yeah, LLJC. You can find him on Twitter at Josh underscore Conrad. As for myself, Brian Bassett, thanks for listening. We will talk to you all next week. Later.